1: I hope I can be the type of guide you can rely on to unlock the agency you have to reach your own mental and physical competency. Let's get started with what's coming up on today's episode.
0: Coming up on this week's show.
1: Welcome, 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 my herbs and spices. It's episode 41 of Free and Inspired Radio. We've had a little bit of a break due to some technical difficulties, we're actually having a little trouble publishing our episodes. So hopefully we can resume regular programming with this episode. Now this week we'll be looking at whether or not coffee is good for you and some of the surprising benefits of coffee and some of the realities of it for those with digestive and mental health issues as well. Now most people think they should stop drinking coffee In my clinic, coffee belongs to what I call the holy triad of things that people think they should cut down or quit when they're not feeling optimal. And it's either red meat, alcohol, or coffee that gets a chop if things aren't going well. Have you been in that situation before where you felt like you've needed to quit one of those things? Contrary to episode 21 on alcohol, which you can check out if you want to, spoiler alert, it's not good for you. Uh, I'm here to offer a somewhat contrarian opinion on the Holy Triad again, and this time with coffee. I say contrarian because, in the case of alcohol, I went in with the opinion that a small amount of alcohol was healthy. And, you know, everything in moderation, depending on the moderator, which I feel has uh, become quite famous for coining with my patients. But in the case of coffee, I was actually the opposite. Most people feel that too much is bad, and some feel that they must quit altogether to be healthy. And actually, in the naturopathic community, for gosh, since I even started day one of school, it was quit coffee. And that was one of the things you would do to help people feel better. And now, as we'll find out in this episode, we're going to shed some more reassuring light on the positive effects of coffee consumption on the various elements of your health. So a little bit of background, if you live in Hong Kong, uh, around 120 coffee shops opened in Hong Kong between January and August 2021. So just to repeat that, 120 coffee shops opened between January and August 2021 in Hong Kong. And that's saying something for a region where milk tea and a yun yong or yun yang, if I've pronounced that correctly. Gosh, please, someone save my Cantonese. Yunyang is a local Cantonese drink where they mix tea and coffee. Now, saying that, tea here is a huge part of the the culture. So having coffee become very popular now is, is kind of an interesting change or a switch in the culture. In the US, however, the average coffee consumption is around 400 million cups a day even though only two states in the U.S. actually produce their own coffee. And would you believe that coffee is the leading source of antioxidants in the U.S.? Not fruit and vegetables, coffee. Now, 400 million cups a day in the U.S. seems like a lot, but it's nothing compared to the largest coffee consumer in the world, Finland. Finnish people, on average, consume around four cups of coffee daily daily, This is just the average, so this daily amount can increase markedly with some having up to 8 or 9 cups daily. Now, shout out to my old boss Ben Cant, who I've been on a few pre-workout vision quests with. The last time I had that much coffee and that much caffeine, I thought the earth was shaking and I realized it was just my body. So the fact that people do that on a daily basis, hey all power to you. I'm sure there's a constitutional element there to that. Once again, though, even though I immediately think of the adverse effects of that level of coffee consumed daily, epidemiological studies conducted over the last five to 10 years disagree. So let's look at some of these positive, unexpected for most effects of coffee. So, now, epidemiological studies aren't considered a gold standard methodology for research nerds out there. So sometimes, as soon as people hear it's an epidemiological study, they go, "Well, it doesn't really mean much, etc." So fine, that's that's fine. But look, for for getting a potentially balanced view of the effects of something on a large population of people over time, the epidemiological studies can at least provide a starting point to improve our understanding and give us some indications. So the first of these studies is one that genuinely surprises people. The study published in the New England Journal of Medicine concluded that light to moderate coffee consumption, so up to three cups of coffee daily, was inversely associated with total and cause-specific mortality. In English non-drinkers had a higher death rate or non-coffee drinkers had a higher death rate in a similar study published in june 2022 with 190,000 people in south korea it got a little bit more specific so it confirmed the earlier study above finding that finding a daily up to three cups of coffee benefits cardiovascular disease respiratory disease and diabetes but not ca- cancer mortality so i'll repeat that cardiovascular disease respiratory disease and diabetes all benefited up to three cups of coffee a day but not cancer mortality so if you have a family history of cancer maybe there's some other things you might want to consider instead like healthy diet for example the coffee paradox is an interesting one where it sees coffee and caffeine as opposed when it comes to cardiovascular disease One constant argument in the coffee-caffeine debate is this coffee paradox, where caffeine increases blood pressure, but coffee seems to reduce it. So when you look into the studies and get a little more granular to get specific, it appears that the increase in blood pressure caused by coffee and the caffeine within it lasts up to or less than three hours. So whilst the caffeine is increasing your blood pressure, it's only doing it for quite an acute period of time, i.e. three hours. After two weeks, there did not seem to be any evidence suggesting that longer-term coffee consumption caused issues with blood pressure. Not only that, it may benefit high blood pressure by positively affecting the blood vessels that contribute to uh, blood pressure and the development of it. So this is a really important part of it because not only is uh, cardiovascular disease one of the biggest killers still in the world, it uh, seems as if that healthy cup of joe might really be able to help. Now, coffee also has what we call a hepatoprotective effect. So it doesn't stop with the cardiovascular system. And in simpler terms, it can just play a role in protecting your liver. Now, this is super interesting and a lot of people don't know necessarily know about this. But just to put this in context, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or NAFLD. Uh, which i'm not going to repeat again don't worry we'll use the normal term non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is the leading liver disease in the world and affects around one-third or just above 30 percent of the world's population or i'll repeat that fatty liver affects one-third or just above 30 percent of the world's population so that's one in three roughly people will at some stage develop fatty liver not only this, but fatty liver is bidirectional, or non alcoholic fatty liver disease is bidirectional when it comes to metabolic syndrome, which is also one of now one of the leading diseases of abundance. And that's a combination of blood pressure, blood sugar, and cholesterol issues, and type 2 diabetes, or a precursor to type 2 diabetes, and that's metabolic syndrome. Bidirectional directional means that as fatty liver worsens so do its associated conditions i.e. cardiovascular disease and metabolic syndrome in contrast as fatty liver improves so do the related conditions i.e. cardiovascular disease and uh, metabolic syndrome and I've actually seen that in clinic m- repeatedly so that's definitely something where the research kind of comes out in the clinic but back to coffee and its effects on the liver because that's why we're here right A meta-analysis brought together epidemiological studies to look at coffee consumption and the risk of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and the progression of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease into more severe irreversible liver conditions such as fibrosis or something called NASH, which is non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. In both separate analyses, the results were quite staggering. Coffee drinkers were significantly less likely to get non-alcoholic fatty liver disease if they didn't have it as a pre-existing condition. Drinking coffee was also found to dramatically reduce the progression of fatty liver into these more severe diseases such as the fibrosis or NASH that we touched on earlier to contextualize this following a study this following study a little more let's briefly chat about blood tests and liver enzymes because that's where you're probably going to hear from your doctor that you've got a fatty liver the for the first time is from that annual blood test natural medicine practitioners like myself tend to look at blood tests slightly different than modern medicine the main reason is for this is twofold the first one is one of our principles is the is prevention is the best form of cure. Uh, so we often like to see if something's appearing in the blood before it gets serious. And the second is that most of us at best only get our blood checked annually. And if that's considering, if that at all really, considering the limitations the pandemic has placed on visiting your local doctor, I've had some patients who haven't had blood tests now for three years, for example, or you know two at best. So a lot can happen in that period of time and you can go from a very healthy looking, normal, so to speak, blood test um, in end of 2019, start of 2020 perhaps, and then land yourself coming to the end of 2022 with some vastly different results, right? Based on this, when a natural medicine practitioner sees your liver enzymes trending upwards in these blood tests, this can often prompt the need to follow up with further investigations to check on the f- presence of fatty liver and we do that via an ultrasound called a fibroscan. scan. Now if you want to check for yourself in your latest blood test, these enzymes are often abbreviated, they are ALT, AST and GGT, let me repeat that, ALT, AST and GGT and they're those liver enzymes if they're starting to trend upwards within their parameters then we start to think that we're looking at the beginnings of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease remember one in three so your best friends definitely your family definitely someone's getting it that's really close to you and it will be a predeterminant for diabetes if not handled correctly Anyway, that's a soapbox, I'll end right there. So what do liver enzymes and these ALT, AST and GGT enzymes have to do with the coffee that you drink to wake yourself up every morning? Well, several studies have found coffee consumption has has been associated with lower levels of ALT, AST and GGT. You probably could have seen it coming, right? Not only that, multiple studies around different regions of the world such as Italy, Mexico, Japan and the US have found a similar connection further validating coffee's benefit for the liver. And to give some real world context so that you might be able to uh, do these things for yourself, the coffee intake for these studies was an average of 2-3 to cups a day which I think is high enough to give you the jitters. I mean, I'm not sure about you, we're going to talk about actually why some people get the jitters and some people don't towards the end of the show when we talk about metabolism of of coffee and caffeine and genetics, but it's an interesting one, isn't it? You can protect your liver and protect your heart by basically having a coffee or two in the morning. Let's take a quick break on free and inspired radio, we're looking at coffee and when we get back from the break, we're going to look at the gut and the brain and coffee when we start off again, and maybe there's some reality checks there with the gut and the brain, but we'll find out just after this on Free and Inspired Radio.
0: Woo, time to take a break. Are you enjoying this episode of Free and Inspired Radio? There's no better time to take back your personal health sovereignty. If you want to connect with more free and inspired episodes, simply subscribe to your favorite podcast platform or visit the website at www.philipwatkins.health for more information. Let's get back to the show. Now, if you've drunk a coffee recently, you probably already know how it can affect
1: your brain. The caffeine in your coffee increases your degree of alertness and reduces the sensation of fatigue, leading to better performance in tasks requiring fast reactions. You could have you could have told me that, right? But would you believe and that caffeine in one study had better results than the popular recreational stimulant that's very popular in LA and Hollywood called modafinil, which is basically uh, with a better way of describing it prescription speed. And coffee actually had a better result in some of these cognition studies than modafinil. So if you're out there in the States and you feel like modafinil is going to help you get through your exams, you might want to substitute it with coffee instead because it's going to probably help you a little more than the monafinil. Initial studies have shown promise in helping to reduce the risk of Alzheimer's disease and dementia. However, contrary to to the articles you may read in the news media, most of the positive coverage for Alzheimer's dementia and coffee has actually been via animal studies. And once again, if you're a regular listener, to this show you'll know that animal studies don't often translate to humans unfortunately so all we can do is just look forward to the human studies and see whether or not uh, the coffee does help with alzheimer's and dementia and i will say on that that um, where our ideas about um, alzheimer's and its origins are actually changing quite dramatically and if you're interested in that just type alzheimer's cause change into google or something like that and you'll see some very interesting articles that have been released over the last few months but back to coffee Uh, coffee does seem to have benefits for another debilitating uh, degenerative brain disease called parkinson's disease which once again is becoming much more common in one meta-analysis of 13 studies so if you're new to meta-analyses that's where they pull studies together in order to get a clearer result with a bigger population of people so this meta-analysis had 13 studies in it and people who consumed caffeine through coffee presented a significantly lower rate of Parkinson's disease progression and risk in general Another exciting study found that people who started drinking coffee in midlife developed five-fold fewer cases of Parkinson's disease at the age of 65 years old when compared to non-coffee drinkers. So hopefully that stands good stead for myself because would you believe I only started drinking coffee at the age of 39? Uh, I liked caffeine (laughs) but not so much coffee. So maybe that study is pertinent to me, who knows? By now, you might consider that coffee isn't all that bad for you, but if you've got gut problems, the situation may be slightly different. Let's explore. Indeed, coffee may actually make things worse if you've got IBS and an Iranian study assessing just under 3,500 people found a significant association between coffee intake and the severity of IBS. A further note from this study found that coffee drinkers had greater odds of developing IBS than non-coffee drinkers. The reasons behind this come from coffee's effect on the digestive system. Coffee increases motility and reduces transit time in the gut. In simpler terms, this means that coffee is bad news for people experiencing IBSD or diarrhea dominant IBS. People living with IBSD generally have enhanced motility and faster transit time already. Often then, coffee can then make can make the loose bowels the loose bowel patterns of ibsd worse studies have also shown that the intestinal permeability or leaky gut picture is also worse in coffee drinkers but if you've listened to my episode on intestinal permeability i wish i remembered which number it was you might find that our view on leaky gut being the original sin of everything where you know everyone's got leaky gut you need to fix it sure it's a problem but it may not be a bigger problem as you think Um, let me get back to coffee (laughs) it's not all bad though with the digestion and coffee Um, coffee has a plethora of bioactive ingredients such as polyphenols that can do really important probiotic species some good these studies are purely associative or in animals at this point so we're not going to get too excited but still there's certainly an interesting example of the type of diversity changes we can see in the microbiome with dietary intervention even things like coffee For example one study investigating moderate coffee intake uh, three cups daily for three weeks just give you a realistic idea found significant increases in the beneficial bifidobacterium species so bifidobacterium have higher populations in the lower part of the digestive system so your large intestine and colon and bowel And your rectum there have big amounts of bifidobacterium species. So coffee intake actually improved it. Some participants even saw a higher metabolic activity from the bifidobacterium groups, suggesting that the coffee amplified the benefits of the bifidobacterium simultaneously, uh, as well as obviously increasing their volume, which is awesome. So look, how good is coffee? If you know me personally, you know that I don't think there's anything bad with coffee at all because uh, I seem to be one of those people who are aspiring to get my Finnish citizenship. But there are things you need to be aware of. And going back to my point earlier, everything in moderation depending on the moderator. So it comes down to you and your personal circumstances as well, whether or not all of your coffee consumption is actually going to help you. The first thing to be aware of when it comes to coffee is that uh, often differentiates people's experience of it. So we touched on people who get the jitters you know, and feel very sensitive to caffeine and other people who don't. Uh, the, and one of the, the reason why that's the case actually comes down to your genes. So the genetic component of breaking down and eliminating coffee and caffeine in your body varies from two to eight hours. That's quite a broad range. Uh, generally for caffeine to reach its half-life, so the time it takes for the amount to halve in your bloodstream, the amount of time is around two to four hours for an average person. And we call this person a normal metabolizer of coffee. So for fast metabolizers, so people who break down the coffee quicker than normal, this will be around two hours. But for slow metabolizers, this could be around eight hours. Now, this is I do this for patients quite a lot, let's say that you have your first coffee at 8am and that's a double shot and you have roughly 180 to you know 140 milligrams of caffeine. It's going to take eight hours for that 140 milligrams to turn into 70 milligrams, which is one shot of coffee in your bloodstream. So if you take that to time, so let's have, say you have it at 8 a.m., then eight hours later from that 8 a.m. is around about 4. So it's going to you have another coffee at 3, you're still going to have almost a double shot of caffeine in your bloodstream when it's time to go to bed, which immediately and surgically affects your deep sleep. So the message here is for those who don't know their personalized genes on this, have most of your coffee in the morning to avoid interfering with your deep sleep and restorative sleep patterns. And this is, this is really just the other side of the coin when it comes to coffee, whether you like it or not, it's gonna affect your sleep. I used to think I could have a double espresso after dinner, dinner parties, restaurants, yeah, no problem. Little did I know, thank you, Aura Ring, please sponsor me. Uh, that it was destroying my deep sleep, and as soon as I stopped doing it, I saw immediate results in my deep sleep levels. There, so some n equals one experience. What do you think? We've touched on people's desire to give up coffee as part of the holy trinity of things that aren't good for me. Hopefully, this episode has gone some way to both reassure you that coffee consumption may not be as bad as you think, and maybe its position in the holy triad of things to give up is not as necessarily warranted as it might have been. At the same time, like most things, there are some situations where taking some time off coffee can be beneficial to get you better, especially if you've got IBSD or some form of anxiety and depression, because it does kind of mess with that a little bit too. On the whole, if you don't have those things, lucky you, But on the whole, if you're healthy, why not have that extra cup at 10am and watch your world's colors get brighter, knowing that you're most likely extending your life at the same time now. Before we finish this episode of Free and Inspire Radio, if you'd love to hear more from me and get the word on new articles, see the podcast from the website uh, on video or more, jump over to philipwatkins.health and join our community via the newsletter there. You can sign up to get an ebook on psychobiotics, so probiotics and their effect on the brain. Uh, Just go and put your name down there. That'll be amazing. You can come and join our community. Uh, your reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify help me to get the word on the street. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, thank you. Throw the video a like and subscribe as always to see uh, when each new podcast is uploaded in your feed. And it's always obviously appreciated from an algorithmic point of view, those likes and subscribes and comments, especially on Spotify and Apple. Here I am just begging. <laughs> I'd like to send some shouts to the show listeners every week. If you get this far in the show, you're one of the Herbs and Spices and I've just come up with that name and it's now going to be the nickname for everyone who listens to the show. So there you have it. Whether you like it or not, tell me if you're a herb or a spice in the comments. This show is about helping you to find the freedom to feel inspired again and I hope this episode gets you one step closer to gaining control and getting that that freedom to feel inspired. Until next week. Don't forget to take care of yourself and those around you. And thank you for being part of free and inspired radio until next week. We'll see you then. Have a good one.
0: Oh my gosh, you made it to the end. This show is all about you and we hope you finished this episode feeling one step closer to feeling free and inspired. We'll be back next week, but if you want to know more about Philip, please catch a digital flight to www.philipwatkins.health for further details about how we might be able to help. In the meantime, have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, and we'll see you for another episode next week.